With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A Teenager. Learning the Lingo. GOAT. G-O-A-T. Acronym stands for greatest of all time, as in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the goat. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. You can also email me on Saturdays with Joy Keys at Hotmail.com. You guys, don't, you're sleeping on the giveaways. There's a lot of giveaways. Somebody just won a $20 Magiano gift card the other day. Definitely follow so you have an opportunity to win something. I'm giving away something usually every week, so don't sleep on it, okay? Also, you can listen to the show on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. Well, this morning I am honored to speak with somebody who's from my hometown. She's American-born. <laughs> Um, she takes on the borderlands, creating an ongoing dialogue around the places where cultures, races, and imaginations intersect. Her subject matter often draws on her childhood in a middle-class black family whose children pioneered into white spaces and on her adult life as a world traveler. Um, we're going to be speaking about her book today called The Red Island House. But she also has some other books that were written and a memoir um, Russian Journal was, was a memoir she wrote, and it was nominated for a National Book Award. She has a novel called Sarah Phillips, a short story collection, Interesting Women, and the novel Lost Hearts in Italy. Good morning, Andrea Lee. Good morning. Good morning, Joy. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, I should say ciao, ciao. <laughs> ciao, ciao, buongiorno dall'Italia. Buongiorno, but is it buona notte now? Is it, is it not nighttime now for you? No, no, it's like dinner time. It's about five in the afternoon. We only have like six hours difference, thank goodness. So, um, yeah, so I'm so just how would you say, here, except that it's hot. How, how would you say that? How would you say, so I said buona notte, but how would you say that, like, uh, Dinner time, like, you know. Buonasera. Buonasera. I would say good evening. Buonasera. E l'ora di cena. That means it's dinner time. Uh, <laughs> look at there. Look at there. You are so multifaceted. Uh, it's funny because myself, I almost became an expat. I would have been living in Germany at one time. That's a whole other story. Or Poland, and that's wow. another story, too. But um, wow. you, you, we both have the love of traveling. Uh, where is the your favorite place other than Italy, other than Italy, where is a favorite place to travel? Ooh, 
Well, I did write this book about Madagascar. Madagascar is one mm-hmm. of my favorite places, but it's, okay, you know, so it is probably the most beautiful country I have. You know, just it's a it's a smallish compared to America. Um, it's a very large island, and it is one of the most beautiful places in the world. So I guess that would be one of my favorite places to be. So tell the audience a little bit about your book. What is your book about? Okay, my book is about, um, it's a collection, it's, it's a novel in the form of vignettes about really what happens when people think they have found paradise, that <laughs> tropical mm-hmm. paradise, it, um, it, which is Madagascar. It kind of stars the country of Madagascar, which is this huge island off the east coast of, of, of Africa, a part of Africa formerly, but an island in itself. And it's, it's kind of a unique place. Um, in terms of its nature, in terms of the 19 different ethnicities who are kind of a mixture of, of um, I wouldn't say ancient, but uh, uh, Indonesian and African peoples. It's, it's mm-hmm. really a unique place. Um, so my book is a series of, of stories that turn into one big story about a place. It's an imaginary island in Madagascar where a black American woman and her Italian husband go and build a great big vacation house, as some people have done in, in Madagascar, on a beach, because it's, it's easy to do because it's kind of a very poor country. So it doesn't cost so much. And over the years, the things that the wife, who's obviously partly my observing eye, sees and encounters uh, during her, her visits, her long visits to this, this house on this island in this country, which is from her her, her you know, ancestral continent, which is so foreign to her. And so she sees, you know, she sees the beauty of the country, but she also sees how when foreigners come to the country, they encounter all kinds of pitfalls. There's sex tourism, there's all kinds of, all all kinds of uh, of things happening to people, which do not fit into the current, into the idea of, of, uh, of paradise, of earthly paradise. Um, So, the stories are all starring different people, but all observed by this woman, Shay. And it kind of goes over some years of her life. She goes there as a very young married woman um, and doesn't quite know how to, how to face how to face a country that is an African country, which is so alien to her. And then gradually she begins to develop a respectful relationship with it as she watches a lot of, um, a lot of the, the foreigners who come who do not respect the country. Mm-hmm, and so it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's basically her growing up through her, through her encounter with this country and learning how to respect it, learning how you do face a country that's not yours but you don't want to exploit. Um, and so, now, the interesting uh, yeah, thing is, one of the things you talk mm-hmm. about in the book, uh, her character, is that, you know, she is African-American, so she would be considered black, an extension of African, yet she is not of Madagascar and the people. She, she does not connect fully 100% with them. Only one character, uh, Bertine, she seems to connect with. You, as an expat, you're in Italy, which is a predominantly, or was, when I was there, homogenous white culture. How did you connect with the Italians? How did you make yourself comfortable or get comfortable being an expat in Italy? That's a really interesting question. Am I comfortable? <laughs> I guess. Ah, are you? Yeah, that's country. your present day. <laughs> <laughs> I continue to I continue to have um you know it's it's interesting I think it's just a 
question of time. And I raised a family here, but I've never stopped feeling that I'm an American, that I am a foreigner. I speak, you know, very good, fluent Italian. I have two children who are bilingual. Um, but we, we, and I say we meaning my children, also my husband, but he's Italian, remain very, very close and linked to, you know, to what I think of as my homeland, um, America, Philadelphia in particular. So um, how did I, I don't know. I think raising a family, coming to understand that you will never be Italian. I, mm-hmm. I think when I relaxed and realized that I may speak the language, but I will always be a black minister's daughter from Philadelphia. I'm proud of it. I'm also, I also kind of know what, I don't know, I know, you know, kind of what is at the basis of, of things in a country once you've lived and been in a family here. So, you know, I don't know about family ties, the powerful family ties in Italy, um, the, you know, relationship with mothers, with parents, incredible power of tradition here. Um, once mm. you begin to understand kind of what makes a country kind of go underneath everything, I think you begin to relax and be there. I mean, certainly I've experienced some ignorance and racism, but I think you, you experience that everywhere, honestly. I think Italy is one of the more relaxed places. I'm not saying that racism does not exist because it definitely does. And it's become more stressful now for, uh, for, for people of color in the country because of economic problems, because there have been more and more, um, more, and more immigrants who have come from Africa and, and other places and, uh, and, you know, and need jobs and are, you know, and are becoming the new face of Italy. Italy is no mm-hmm. longer such a white country. And actually, one of yes. the biggest stars in Italy, the TikTok star, um, whose name is escaping me now, it's so embarrassing, my son would be annoyed with me, but is an, is an African immigrant who has like 30 million TikTok followers, and it's just hilariously funny. We'll have to look up his name at the end of the broadcast. Yeah, he's from Kivasso, yeah. and, but he's, he's African, and he's, you know, he's, he's astonishing. So, I mean, uh, so you know, Italy's changed. <laughs> uh, let me just I'll look about, up his name eventually, and I'll tell you. Okay, that. we'll look up the name. We can, Go we can on. you can tick, you can tweet it at me, yeah. <laughs> or, or send it to me yeah, through Instagram. I will, or yeah. um, one of the things is the role of women in the book, um, and at first it appears that the women don't have power, um, and it's like this patriarchal situation. But then, as you get to read the book. And one particular character in, in particular, what's her name? Noelina. Noelina, am I saying that correctly? Um, she has the two um, men fighting over her. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's a, yes. that was the so, thing that came so, out So at first yeah, she thinks exactly. it, it's just sex. You know, she's using them and she's using her sex. But then later you, you realize it seems like maybe she had some idea about what she was doing in the long run. Do you feel the role of women in the world has changed much? Are women still using sex in other places to get the things they need, or are they respected for other parts of their body? <laughs> mm, that's, a, that's a huge question. We could sit here all afternoon and talk about it. I don't know. I think sex is still a fallback plan for a lot of people, not because they have nothing else for a lot of young women in, in very poor countries, and I've seen it in, in Madagascar too. Sex is something, unfortunately, that always, that, that you know, that is, is a way of, of getting ahead. And you can't really judge them. You know, I think Shay realizes, my character realizes in the book early on, that if she were in the same position of these young women who are living in one of the poorest countries in the world, 
she would probably be doing the same thing. She would probably, you know, she would have very, very little alternative you know, to work at a miserably paying job or to perhaps make more money, um, you know, working with, working, doing sex work. Um, and that mm-hmm. is what I have seen. So I don't know. I think there are more opportunities. There's certainly more awareness of the, uh, of the dilemma of young women in, you know, in, well, I mean, I see it in Italy here too. There's so, there's a lot of prostitution, a lot of sex work here with women from countries outside of Italy who are earning a pittance. Um, do you so, think it should you know, be made so legal? Do you think it should be made I legal? Do. You do. And why, why do you feel that? Well, because I've spent a lot of time, my, my daughter actually lives in Amsterdam, and so I've spent a lot of time up there. Actually, I edited uh, Red Island House in Amsterdam, where it is legal, and it's very much, uh, you know, a business protected, uh, and uh, I see, you know, I see that it's, you know, sex work is always going to be happening. There's no getting mm-hmm. around it. That's human nature. Mm-hmm. And so the women in, that I've seen in Amsterdam, whom I've seen in Amsterdam, are protected, they are, you know, it's definitely not the first choice that anyone would probably make as a, you know, as a career or as a, you know, as a, as a job, but at least they are not subject to crime as much as the women I see in Italy where it's kind of tolerated, but it's not, it's not exactly legal. And there's, you know, it's just, it's kind of ang- agonizing to see, you know, young women who are clearly kind of imprisoned and forced into, into this work. Whereas in Amsterdam, it's legal. They're protected. They, you know, they have rights. They have insurance. They have health care. It's a whole different thing, and it's much better for them. So I absolutely, I think, you know, we're not going to eliminate it by keeping it by keeping it illegal. Illegal. Mm-hmm. So I, I mm-hmm. firmly believe that it should be legalized, and then we should try to figure out how to, you know, I don't know how to address a huge problem of human nature. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, let's talk about this book. Uh, how long did it take you to write it? It's very detailed. You have a lot of great quotes in the beginning of different chapters. You yourself are quoting um, the different characters are quoting different authors throughout. How long did it take you to write the book? Time, actually. Um, I start, I, I, it started out as short stories. I was, you know, I'll just say this, but I didn't really want to write this book. I didn't feel that I was the right person to be writing it. I thought I didn't have, I don't know, it wasn't appropriate for me, an outsider, to kind of come in and start writing, you know, deeply about this country. But it's really mm. not my country. You know, Italy is my adopted country, so I think I kind of, but, but Madagascar is a country that I have had an ongoing encounter with um, and still, it still goes on, but basically as a vacationer, not as a tourist exactly, because I know a lot about it. Um, and, but, I still felt that it was not appropriate, but I just kept on collecting anecdotes, meeting people. And the book, as books do, insisted kind of on, on writing itself. So it took about 10 years to write, mm. I would say, starting in about mm, 2010. Mm, mm. When I began to write down stories, I began to, to make amalgams of people, mixing together people and events. Um, and and then I published a couple of stories in the New Yorker and uh, in the I thought, okay, I will put it together as a collection of stories that will be kind of musings on, on colonialism, on post-colonialism, on race, and, you know, whatever that I'm seeing in this country during my visits. And mm-hmm. then the book just began to be, to hold together. I began to think that Shay, who's kind of me, but also kind of not me, should be a character who holds it together along with the big ha- the idea of the big house. 
Yes. And uh, and then I uh, so I I um and I began to think it should be a unified story made up of stories. So I began now to do tell a lot us, of research. Tell I, us, yes, the research. Mm-hmm, we talked about that. The the research that you were doing yes. was very extensive. Um, not just going there. Tell the audience about the different things you were reading and and and, and uh, researching. <laughs> well, the, um, well. Because I decided that since if I was going to be writing about it, I had to be out of respect to this country. I had to be accurate, you know, not just going to casually come down and, you know, talk about the wind in the palm trees or whatever, you know. Um, I had to be accurate. So I began reading histories of Madagascar, um, missionaries' records from the 1800s. Madagascar used to be a French colony, so there are lots of, there are lots of texts and naturalist texts. Um, and then I would begin to read about slavery, slavers' records uh, that were actually written and translated from the Dutch and the Norwegian. And I began to read Malagasy literature because there's a rich amount of Malagasy poetry and uh, and and prose. It's a it's a very literature-minded, literary-minded country. Um, one of the most so in, in of all the countries in Africa. I read letters from Paul Gauguin who decided that he wanted to live in Madagascar before Polynesia. I read about Hitler's Madagascar plan because he had a plan mm. in the 30s to send Jewish people to Madagascar. And ex- wow. everyone seemed to want to use that country, <laughs> yeah, use that island as something, use it, use it, make use of it, exploit it. And so mm-hmm. I began to explore all of this, and I, I, you know, I didn't want it to be a history book, but I wanted to include it in my in my stories, if possible. So, uh, so it took a lot. It, it took a lot of time, but I wanted also to make it an entertaining book, as well. So, now, when when you're um, reading, do you? I, I read that you normally read in English. Why? Why is that? Because you speak many languages, but you normally read in English. Why do you do? Why is that? I think um, I think it's important for writers to, well, I don't know, you know, this is just me, but I know that if I were to start reading avidly in Italian and French, because I could do that, I would begin mm. to be clumsy in my English. And, you know, when you live outside of your country, you get into this habit of kind of thinking a little bit in the country where you are, thinking a little bit, like in my house, with my kids, we will chit chat and just throw in an Italian word, baby. And it becomes, it makes you hesitate when you're writing. Like the right word doesn't come to mind. Mm-hmm, um, and you mm-hmm. have to, it's like a tool. When you're writing, your English is your unique, wonderful tool, the English language. And so you have to kind of keep it polished up. And I, I find if I write, read too much in a, another language, I will become too involved with that language. I will absorb it too much and then my English will suffer. So I, I try not to read. Uh, I try to read things that are well translated. If I have to read something in another language, I will. But mm-hmm. in French or Italian, I will. But I try to constantly read in English because otherwise I, I think it would, it would make me clumsy in my writing. There's a lot of magic going on in this book and one of the powers of the women <laughs> is possibly that their magic um, but uh, I love the, the chapter where the two friends, Shay and her friend, um, uh, I'm forgetting the name at the moment, but they go to see the tree. Bertie. This mag- the, yes. And, uh, oh, this no, magical- oh, the, other, oh, the other friend. Okay. The, the, not, yeah, she goes to see the tree, and then there's the woman who's um, disfigured, and um, her yeah. husband is it's, it's like in the story, 
the two characters are entranced by the guy, Franco, but me as the reader, I myself was like, do I want to continue to listen to what he has to say or do I not? Because this is sounding like really crazy, the story this guy's going. So do you feel, do you dream up and wake up and say, oh, that's a great idea? In your dreams, does stuff come to you? <laughs> I think kind of do, yeah, very often sometimes. You know, I think stories that have something to say about that. Um, yeah, things come to me in my dreams. Things come to me when I'm driving around or walking in the woods or walking in the city. Uh, think, I think, oh, that would be a perfect, you know, a perfect thing to stick together with another anecdote that I might have, you know, stuck in the back of, you know, in the in the back of my mind. That would make a really good story, because um, a lot of, you know, people think that writers just kind of observe their life and then write that down. But in, as a matter of fact, it's more of a pastiche. You take things, you um, you take things, you put them together. I might have things in the back of my mind for the longest time. Like right now, for example, I'm writing this memoir I told you about Yaden, and it mm-hmm. occurred to me, I remember the conversation I had with my mother in the kitchen when I was really little, asking why I could not go down, we could not go on a holiday down to plantations in Mississippi. <laughs> and my mother had to sit down and tell me this whole story. I was like, here we go down there, so it would be so cute. Cool. I was very little. And she, so, but then I realized that, wait, that kind of connects to the whole idea of this community where we were, where which was trying to protect us from, you know, from such knowledge. And maybe we were overprotected, but I had never thought of it. So it, it linked to another, another, um, another anecdote, which actually didn't happen then, but I realized it would be a perfect, a perfect fit. To, to this conversation mm. with my mother. So that's kind of a funny <laughs> part of the chapter. So you're all it's like, can you go on vacation? Did I have a sip? She said, no. I know, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget the look on her face. She was like cooking something. She actually turned around, turned, turned off the gas, turned around. She was like looking like, did I not teach this child anything? <laughs> mm. <laughs> Anyway, but that's anyway. So that's but that's how you put a book together. At least that's how I do it with different different pieces that might come from different parts of your life. Now, who are some of your favorite writers? Like, who do you read? Is there a book that you constantly read over and over again, um, maybe throughout the years that you, you've um, picked up? Oh, let's see. There's so many. Um, I would say. You know, I love this one book. You're talking about magic. I love Zora Neale Hurston in general, but this book, her book about, it's a memoir about Haiti called Tell My Horse. It's about voodoo, and it is just magnificently written. It's intriguing. Mm. It's mysterious. And I read it over and over again. It's called Tell My Horse. And it's not one of her, you know, one of her usually praised books, but I just love it. And then there's, um, there's, uh, well, I'm in, I'm in love with Master and Margarita by Bogakov, um, which is this fantastic Russian novel that combines mm. fantasy and real life. My favorite thing. And uh, there's so many. I mean, um, I'm right now I'm kind of in love with Gish Jen's The Resisters, and I just talked about a book that I'm in love with. I just read Dear Miss Metropolitan by Carolyn Farrell, which is an astonishing book. The same thing, mixtures of fantasy and, you know, and re- extraordinary reality. So I guess, yeah, I mean, so many other books. Um, the Lamp- uh The Leopard, um, John Toomer's Kane. There's so so many books I love that I, I can't tell you. And that's part of my keeping my English going, reading and rereading 
He spoke. Now, now, what is going on with this um, Lord of the Rings um, skits happening at the funeral thing? Can you tell the audience about that, though? What's going on with that? <laughs> Where that? Where, oh, I do my research now. You can't come on here. <laughs> You're kidding me. This is yes. I feel like, what, you spying on my – did my children come and tell you? <laughs> I'm, I'm not – look. Lord of the Rings, I knew they were going to laugh. Okay, I'm obsessed with Lord of the Rings. That's true. Okay, so that's one of the books I constantly reread. But because I've okay. been teased about it so much, but my son and my daughter, I wasn't going to mention it. However, it's true. I'm a Lord of the Rings nerd, and I constantly – Who's your favorite character? Who's your favorite oh character in the Lord of the Rings? Oh, my God. my favorite character? I don't know. I guess Frodo, Gandalf. I guess Gandalf might be. He's, you know, it changes through the years because I've been obsessed with it since I was about 12. So uh, now I'm kind of more interested in Gandalf. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Can say why. So, no, I'm a nerd, too. I love the Lord so of the Rings. How did you find this out? I mm-hmm. do my research. Andrea, oh. come on. I also oh, know. Let me I'm ask so you this. Do you like ice cream soda still? Because you used to drink ice cream sodas <laughs> when you were a little girl. What's your favorite food now in Italy? Well, I do really like ice cream, as a matter of fact. Yes. Gelato? Food now. Hmm. Gelato is one of my very favorite foods, i got to say. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, like, um, I like any kind of pasta. Uh, okay. But, uh, we, right now we're having pasta made with pesto that's like from uh, – that grew from uh, the basil that grew in our backyard. So that's – so good. Everything is good here. You're gonna to have to come back and visit me, and I'll give you some delicious, some delicious Torino food. But oh my I God. do. I like can ice tell the audience that. Much. Yes, ice cream mm-hmm. sodas are great. What about from Philadelphia? Because you're from Philadelphia, we have cheesesteak, we have water ice, um, pretzel. Oh yeah, talking to my son about this today because you know my my son, all right, who so was born here, went to school in in um in, at Forsberg, where I'm going to be teaching. And right, so right. for some reason this morning, I said, Charlie, did you ever eat water ice when you were at sport? He said, oh, yeah, <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> I don't know if you eat water. <laughs> he said, of course I did. Then we started talking about, like, and I love, and she said, water ice. Um, you know, my mother's cooking was like good old, you know, old Southern black cooking. So mm-hmm. I associate Philadelphia with that. My father was a minister. So, you know, we had these delicious Sunday dinners. And so I associate that food with Philadelphia and with home. But to Philadelphia cooking, I would say it's cheesesteak is what I run to whenever I'm there. So what, what do you put on your cheesesteak? And is it chicken cheesesteak or is it like beef cheesesteak? Like what, what's the deal? Oh, beef cheesesteak. Classic okay. beef steak. Classic beef steak. And what, yeah, what kind of cheese and condiments do you do? Oh, my God. I don't know, to tell you the truth. But I'll tell you, the condiments are generally hot peppers chopped up because I really like them hot. So uh, that's but definitely beef. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And I can't wait to do it. I'm coming back in August, and that's going to be the I first thing I'll do. I was about to say. But, that's the, yes, yes. Well, thank you so much, Andrea. This has been such a pleasure talking with you. I'm going uh, <laughs> to give away a copy of your book. Um, where can people follow right. you on social media? Can you let them know? Yeah, you can follow me on um, on, uh, it's on Instagram and Facebook. Instagram, I'm Andrea Gordon Lee, um, and uh, Facebook, I'm Andrea Lee, and on Twitter, it's Andrea Lee. 
I think it's Andrew Lee. You know, something like I don't pay much attention to much. And then I have a I have a website, so they can they can find me there. I can even send it to you. But yes, I just want to say I'm thrilled to be coming back to Philadelphia for a year. I can't wait. So oh my gosh, that's <laughs> going to be amazing. Be treat. Well, yeah, um, I, yeah, yeah. I hope you have a great weekend and. Um, I, I uh, thank you so much again for coming on and sharing. I'm going to give away some copies of the book, so I want to encourage people to follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook Saturday mornings with Joy Keys and on Instagram Saturdays with Joy Keys. Andrea, um, I, maybe we'll have lunch or something when you come to Philadelphia. Uh, please stay in touch. I would love that. Let's do it. Let's do it. Absolutely. Okay, and I'm I'm going to be listening to your um to your next show on swimming pools because the Nile Swim Club is my go-to place. So I'm going to revise my membership when I get there. So, okay. Okay. <laughs> I get All right. Well, okay. All right. You have a great weekend. Thank okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. And I'll see you soon. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Ciao. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Stay tuned. I'm going to have another show with singer Lynn Sidmont coming on soon. You don't want to miss it. She has a awesome and fabulous voice. So please stay tuned for that. Talk to you soon. Have a great weekend. Every year, millions of Americans are exposed to a contagious virus. What is this virus? It's stigma. Stigma promotes an environment of shame, fear, and silence, which prevents millions of people from seeking help. But there's good news. The National Alliance on Mental Illness believes stigma towards mental illness is 100% curable. So do yourself and everyone a favor. Go to curestigma.org and get tested for stigma. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 